I missed that. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. It's awesome to be back. Um, the uh, So today is uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, growing up Catholic, I have fond memories of... That was a great day for us as kids because they handed out... They finally gave you something at church, which was a palm. They handed them out. And we'd play with them during church, make mom all mad, and yeah, 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 poking each other with them. That's right, that's right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, Palm Sunday, as you know, is the Sunday before the resurrection of Christ. We celebrate it uh, at this time, uh, which is roughly about the time because we know that he was crucified and resurrected in springtime at Passover. Um, and so we're going to look at that today. But when, when the Lord is entering Jerusalem on this day, on Palm Sunday, on the back of the donkey, as it was prophesied of him, the people are crying out, uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, which is uh, save us. It's a, it's a word in, in Hebrew that means to save us now, deliver us. Meaning, this is the king, and they're quoting Psalm 118. They're actually quoting a psalm uh, that they knew well and sung uh, on during the Passover and during other feasts, especially the Feast of Tabernacles. And the the Pharisees tell Jesus, whom they ha- whom they hate him, but they they can't stand to hear this. The 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 leaders, the elite leaders, cannot stand to hear the people shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord on this day. There's thousands and thousands of them. Uh, and and Jesus says to them, and it, in the Gospels recorded, this is the first thing he says that whole morning, is that if they don't say it, the rocks will say it. In other words, I am entering the kingdom. I am entering, no, sorry, I am entering Jerusalem, finally presenting myself as king. He hadn't done this publicly ever until this day. He presents himself and he says, look, if on this day, this message that I am coming, if nobody on earth said, blessed am I who comes, The rocks will say it because it has to be said. I am bringing my kingdom. So, interestingly, today I got these in the mail. Well, they were in the mailbox today. Which is from some gentleman in Montana who who sent me this, you know, uh, that we're teaching the uh, dispensations wrong. And uh, he's convinced that the church is going to go through the tribulation. 
And he says in these pamphlets that um, that there's no clear-cut you know, a message or, or scripture that says that the tribulation is, uh, sorry, the rapture is coming before the tribulation. What we call pre-tribulation rapturists. Yeah. And he's exactly right. Is there a clear-cut passage that distinguishes that or states that the rapture is coming before the tribulation? Clear-cut? No. And I know this. He knows this. And uh, I, I have no problem with this, you know. Uh, where do we get the pre-trib rapture from? Because this day, Palm Sunday, is quite a bit about this. The coming of the kingdom. Right? They're going to reject him, so the kingdom's going to be put off. Uh, you know, so we compare Scripture with Scripture, and we try and figure out the future. Imagine us trying to figure out the future <laughs> And we, from many scriptures, it seems, and I'm still in complete agreement with it, that there's a rapture before the tribulation, the rapture of the church. So, as he says in these pamphlets, you know, we've got to get our act together as Christians because we're living sinfully and we're in our wicked ways and all of that, and all of that is true. It's very true. But... Is the fear of going through a tribulation going to change the behavior of believers? It's not here now. Is it going to change your behavior today? It's not. It's not. What is going to change a person? What we're going to look at today. That's what's going to change a person. It's not so much when the Lord is returning. If he Look. If we were all wrong as pre-trib rapturists, and we, we, you know, ended up going through the tribulation, and then we all went to heaven, and we were like, wow, that was hard. Would we survive it? Maybe. Well, maybe. Say we all were martyred. Tribulation started tomorrow. It was like, there's the beast in Jerusalem. That is weird, right? Or something like that. It, you know, it, it doesn't work, basically. It doesn't work in this way. But just say, just say that we were wrong, and we went through the tribulation, and we ended up in heaven, would we all be like, God, what in the world were you thinking? What the heck do you think you're doing? You got it all wrong. We were right. Right? The program of God is up to God. What does God really tell us concretely in the Scripture? That He's coming. And it's imminent. We know that it's imminent. And that's why the rapture works much better in all Scripture. The pre-trib rapture works much better because it's imminent. And, and that's what this is about. The Lord comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and he presents himself as king. And if it's, that's the king, what's he bringing with him is the kingdom. And we all, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a member of that kingdom. And so, if this gentleman wants to hate me for my teaching, I say, is that how the kingdom acts? Is that how the subjects of the kingdom are? Why do Christians argue and bicker and form denominations and separate from one another? Because of stuff like this that can't actually be truly determined by Scripture 100%. Why do they do it? It's because this is not the kingdom. 
This world is full of sinners. Even the best of us Christians, I don't know why I'm touching myself, I shouldn't do that. Even the best of you Christians, we don't get everything right. We sin every day. Right? We're, we're not perfect. And that's why this king, the kingdom can't be on this earth. And the kingdom cannot be made of sinners. Because there'd be this for all of eternity. I don't know, I keep using this. That's my visual. It'd be this for all of eternity. The arguing. The distinctions. There'd be the pre-trib part of heaven. The post-trib part of heaven. Right? There'd be the amillennialists over there. Be like, you guys were dumb. You got it all wrong. But, you know, like whatever, right? There'd be separation. There's Israel. Wait, the people of Israel, don't go there. They're the lesser people. Right? They're not of the church. That's like, you know, the, the rough part of town. Is that what Kevin's like? Is that what the kingdom's like? No, it's not. You see, you get caught up in details and you lose the big picture. And when you lose the big picture, you lose a lot. There's a spirit to the scripture. And the spirit is, whether you've got your eschatology absolutely correct or not, the Lord's coming. And so is his kingdom. So rejoice. Today we're going to look at the Lord present his kingdom. And it matches perfectly with the passage that we're studying in 1 Thessalonians. As if there is a God, right? So let's, uh, let's start with prayer and let's, uh, we'll get right into that after we sing. We're also celebrating Lord's Supper this morning, so we have a lot to do. Uh, so let's pray and let's thank God for our uh, time and opportunity to be together to learn these principles, to have our hearts regenerate, uh, have our hearts cleansed by the truth with humility and reverence. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word and thank you for our Lord, our Lord who presented himself to the world, to his people. They rejected him. But that did not mean that the kingdom would not come. The kingdom is coming. He taught us to pray that day in and day out. Your kingdom come. And Father, you have made us by your grace through the sacrifice of Christ. Members of that kingdom. Therefore, we have the law of that kingdom. But yet here we're sinners. We don't get everything right. Not not one of us has all truth. Yet, in humility, would you tell us to be that, God, you give grace to the humble. And so, in humility, we seek in your word to live this life of your kingdom, even though the kingdom is not here on earth, that we may shine the light of it to others in this world so that they may be saved. And to believers who are on the fence about your word, that they may be committed to your word and find life. As your, as, your, as your son told us, our Lord, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So, Father, we ask for your blessing upon our service and to, that all of us would, would gain what you would have us know from our gathering today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All rise, please. Oh. 
Uh, let's begin in First Thessalonians two. I, I know that throughout this we'll we'll have to uh, give periodic summaries of Thessalonians as we go through it, so that we understand where we've been and not get lost in the details. Uh, the The theme of this book is to encourage believers who get it, uh, believers who uh, have accepted God's word as truth. Uh, as truth from God, it's an encouragement for them to continue even though life uh, has dealt them suffering and people have dealt them suffering. Uh, Paul relates to them in chapter 1, his wonderful work uh, that 
that he had done. Uh, he continues that in chapter 2. He talks about himself, about his faithfulness. Remember the last time we, were, we met, he showed himself as the gentle child, the nursing mother, the instructing father. Uh, and that took all of these roles so that they could walk in a manner worthy of God. Uh, and that was his desire, and that was his desire for everybody, and should be our desire for everybody, that uh, we uh, assist, uh, serve. Uh, and that's, this is what the kingdom is about. Uh, the kingdom is not here on earth. This is obvious because people don't do this generally. Uh, and those who are committed to this life are certainly in the minority. Uh, Paul relates how they had faithful work, loving deeds, enduring hope. Remember, Thessalonians, they're brand new believers. And even though suffering at the hands of their countrymen and knowing you know, an, enough uh, of the truth of doctrine that was only a few months worth, they had taken what they had known and they put it into practice. And as you can see here in 1 Thessalonians, look at verse 13. And I'll summarize more as we go through the week. Uh, he says, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Uh, and Paul is there uh, uh, grabbing hold of the, th- uh, the, the point in very famously in Hebrews chapter 4.12 uh, that the word of God is alive and powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, right? And it does its work in us. But notice, they've accepted the word not as from men, but from God. And we're going to spend a bit of time on that phrase this week because it's super important. Uh, That kind of gets back to my friend here with his nice little pamphlets. That uh, And man, he put a ton of work into these. These are hand-drawn on the front. (laughs) But, and, you know, I appreciate that. I, I think he's a little uh, off on things. But uh, that, you know, the, the, when we receive, like he makes the point, it, the, the commentator says this, the pastor says this, uh, the, the, my neighbor or the book I read says this. Great. I mean, if what they're saying is from God, then terrific. But there's a lot of and Christians out there who, who say, well, you know, pastor so-and-so says this, and it's from men, and it's not from God. It, it has to be from Scripture. The pastor is given to you to help you understand Scripture, not to understand him. I'm a student of the Bible. You're a student of the Bible. I put the work in so that we can, in this time that we have, understand the Scripture. And what God is saying. And so when you accept the word of God from God, right? Then the word has ultimate authority over you, not the pastor. Not the theologian. Not the commentator. You are accountable to the Almighty. And it's what Paul said back in chapter 1. I think it was chapter 1. That God is the one who examines our hearts. Nobody else does. God does. So when <clears throat> this is what made all the difference to them. They accepted the word as from God. Does that mean that they get everything right? No. 
And on this Palm Sunday, nobody's going to be right. Nobody's going to be right, really. They have, in Palm Sunday, they have partial truths, but there are some in the crowd who match this description. And Jesus' disciples, they have accepted Christ as from God. They have accepted the Word as from God. And they don't know what's happening. I, I love it because that, that's like the perfect description of me. I accept God's word as from God. I know I'm under God's authority. Do I always know what's happening? No, none of us do, always. If you And a lot of people have, have been very harsh on the crowd here at Palm Sunday because they don't know really what's going on. They have partial truth. But that's true. They have partial understanding. But I don't fault them at all. I would have been carried away in the same way. What do you, he's on what now? He's on a donkey? This was not, you know, there aren't like flyers all over Jerusalem for days saying, come out and see Jesus on the back of a donkey. You won't believe it. Fulfillment of Zechariah 9. It's going to happen right before your eyes. Free beer. Just to get the crowds out, you know, that helps. Uh, no, it's, he tells the disciples where the donkey is. Actually, there's two of them. There's the mom and the, and, the, and the cult. He tells them where they are and what to say when someone says, hey, where are you going with that donkey? He's going to say, well, the Lord has need of it, and the people are going to be like, okay, I understand. And then he hops on it and rides in. And this is a fulfillment of Zechariah 9. And the people know it. But, you know, some people know it. And so other people are like, who is this on the back of a donkey? They say, well, this is Jesus of Nazareth. And as word spreads from ear to ear to ear, this grows. And thousands upon thousands. Jerusalem is packed for Passover. And Josephus, the historian, tells us there's three million people there. Nobody believes his number, but say there's a third of that. Say there's a million people. It's a tiny city. There's no hotels. Right? They're camped. People are camped out up and down the road that Jesus is riding in on. There's a road from Bethany that goes around the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. They're all over this place, all camped out, cooking for themselves. They've got their children, their animals, whatever, whatever they brought, pilgrims, thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of them. And as from tent to tent, from family to family, from ear to ear, Jesus of Nazareth, who, by the way, they all know that he raised Lazarus from the dead four days ago. It's very fresh in everyone's mind. Lazarus is with him. Lazarus lives in Bethany. And as it goes from ear to ear, from tent to tent, the people understand that he's on the back of a cult and this is a fulfillment of prophecy that this is your king. So the people start shouting, crying out, Psalm 118. Not the whole thing, the portion of it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this is Good Friday. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wrote Good Friday in my notes. How funny. 
So if you're looking at my notes and it says this is Good Friday, the Sunday before resurrection. Again, I didn't get to bed till 2.30 in the morning. so Still a dumb mistake. So anyway, does my slide say Good Friday? No, it says Palm Sunday. Thank God. All right. Thank you, God. All right, this picture from the Bible Project. Uh, Jesus presented himself as king, which means he's the head of the kingdom. And so go to Zechariah 9. Zechariah chapter 9. Don't be ashamed to use your glossary. I like to do crosswords. And uh, it's a pretty common clue uh, for three-letter answers that it'll say the book after Nehemiah or something like that. And I'll be like, ah, yeah. (laughs) And I have to ask Chris. Because Chris, in in Sunday school when she was a kid, she memorized the, the song of the books. So I asked Chris, what book is it? And she goes, she sings it, and then you get to it. So if you know the song, you know the you know the order. Zechariah nine five, is it nine five? That's not right. Now I have to find Zechariah. Um, is it, is it nine? Where does it say, "Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion"? Is that nine nine? Yeah, that's what I thought. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. That's another typo in the notes if you're, if you're following. Again, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Right? What's he bringing? Salvation. And he's just. No human being is. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It is important to remember here that Jesus is in fact presenting himself as king. On that day, he's entering Jerusalem on the donkey as a king. Um, And so, brushing aside, you know, because there's all kinds of wrangling about words, which was kind of like what my intro was about. Regardless of the conjectures of meaning and stuff about prophecy, because prophecy, eschatology, gets nobody knows it all fully. It's not everything is not everything is revealed. But what we do know is that the kingdom is coming. It's coming, and it will be here. Nothing is going to stop it. No one can stop it. It didn't happen this day because they rejected him. It wouldn't be this day. Of course, he still has to die on the cross, whether Israel accepted him or not, because you cannot have a kingdom filled with sinners, not God's kingdom. Human kingdoms are filled with sinners. That's why there's all the problems. But God's kingdom cannot have one sin in it. And why? Well, it says here, as well as it does in multiple other passages, that he is just. He's righteous. You can't have any. There's not the smallest iota of unrighteousness in his kingdom. It just can't be. Okay. So, 
This king, therefore, comes meekly, humbly. Is that what kings are like on the earth? Is that how they that how they conquer? Is that how they rule? Is that how they bring in their kingdom into some other land? No. There's one time in history that this kind of happened like this, and it turns out that it's a person who's in the Bible, Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia, who God anointed to send the Israelites back to, to Judah after captivity, when he came to the walls of Babylon, the Babylonians were like, come right in. But he didn't come meek and humble on the back of a donkey. The reason why they let Cyrus in without shooting one arrow is because Cyrus had conquered and brutally killed every kingdom that he came across. Cyrus never lost a battle. By the time he got to Babylon, the Babylonians were like, it's like you picking a you know a one-on-one match with Michael Jordan. They're like, you win. They just let him in. Is that what happens here? No, human kings are not like this at all. And so much of this is brought out here. And it affects us greatly because you and I are tempted very much to live in the world's kingdom, the world's way. What happens in the kingdom of the world where people conquer one another is that what? We're jealous of one another. We hate one another. We want revenge against each other. We won't forgive one another. Uh, we want to steal, not, or, or even if we won't steal, we covet from one another. And believers, we get sucked into this because we're sinners. And, and, and you know, none of us are perfect at this. You find yourself bitter? Not when you're in God's kingdom. There ain't one ounce of bitterness in anybody at any time, anywhere. Can't be. It can't be. So God tells us, look, I have given you the power, the truth, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within, all of my kingdom. That You're in a body that's made for the old kingdom, the old world. But I've given you so much power that you conquer the old world within and live spiritually the new world in the old. And when you do that, your light shines so bright to the other members of the old that your gospel shines, right? The good news. And it's exactly what Paul wanted. We see it in Thessalonians. What I want to see in you, I will do anything. I'll be the child, the father, the mother. I'll give my life so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God. And live this life. The life of the kingdom of God. Could Jesus have conquered by force when he came in? Easily. Easily. But what kind of kingdom would have a perfect kingdom at its head and the kingdom be full of sinners? So if he comes in and he says, Pilate cuts him down. He just has to say a word, right? He doesn't even need a sword. He only has to say a word, or he could have called down the 12 legions of angels like he told Peter, and just like,
That's it. Pilate, Sanhedrin, out. Slap them on the back of the head on the way out. Sit on the throne of the high priest, the throne of Rome. Now I'm ruling. And if anybody gets out of line, you're dealing with me. And people would be afraid. Would that be the kingdom of God? Not even close. Right? But that's the kingdoms of the world. That's what we learn from Palm Sunday. It's not just about a triumphal entry. It's about what the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of heaven. What that conflict really is. What kind of kingdom would see... Uh, would have a perfect king at its head and sinners as its subjects. It would be the kind of kingdom that had repeated rebellion and revolution. Where do we see that? On earth, all throughout history. That kind of kingdom, even if you had a perfect king, but you had sinner subjects, we would need prisons, we would need courts of law, to handle all the lawbreakers, just like the kingdoms of the earth. What happens to the kingdoms of the earth, i.e. Portland, I wouldn't call it a kingdom, but what happens when you stop enforcing the law? All the lawbreakers say, oh, you know what, thanks. We won't break the law. We understand. It's really nice that you trust us. You know, do, do criminals say, oh, you're not going to enforce the law? Well, thanks. Thanks for the trust. We won't break the law. No, the lawbreakers come out of the woodwork. That's the kingdoms of the earth. The kind of kingdom that has a perfect king full of sinners would lack the perfect peace that neighbor has to neighbor. Even amongst the best Christians, there isn't always perfect peace. Hence, God has to tell us, forgive one another. You could be the most spiritual person alive and you're going you're gonna to hurt somebody by saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. It's going to happen because you're a sinner. That cannot be in the kingdom of God because that is a kingdom of perfect peace. The Lord's kingdom can only be filled with sinless people who always walk in the life of the kingdom. Always. There cannot be a time ever when they don't. Do you see why he's riding in on a donkey and not on a, in a tank? <laughs> or, or with 70,000 angels behind him? He's presenting himself as the king. But just as it was prophesied of him, hundreds and hundreds of years, centuries before he came, that he would enter meekly. We just read it. Why? There's, well, there's no kingdom if there's no subjects. And the subjects in God's kingdom got to be perfect. Now, we, people get on the, the crowd. Others, I've heard it taught, they, they, they beat up the crowd here for not understanding. I, 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 don't, I can't blame them. At, had anybody ever seen a king like this? Even though the prophecy said it would happen this way, it had never, ever, there was no one even remotely close to doing what he's doing here. 
Nobody ever. Like, not even like halfway there. You know what I mean? Like, this has never happened. Nothing even remotely close to it. And so you'd have to believe the prophecies with full faith, even though sight over millennia says that this is impossible. I don't blame them at all. And so the believers in this crowd are going to get it wrong. And that's the the first category. This is what we see. And and out of this, I give you a very crude, as I say crude, you can't categorize human beings very well because we're we're messy. (laughs) Human beings don't fit into nice, tight compartments. You can't say, well, you're a type A personality, type B personality. Everything overlaps. You, you kind of tend, trend towards one way or another. Um, if you've ever taken a legit personality test like uh, that, that tells you what type of person you are, it's a hoot. If, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I recommend it or not. You, you might. But I, I have uh, not long ago taken one of those. and Oh, it labeled me perfectly, which was uh, scary in a way. But anyway, first there's the believers who accept uh, the word as from God. They're here in the crowd, and they don't understand what's going on. It's wonderfully comforting to us. If you love God's word, take courage. When you don't get it, God's going to be patient with you, and he's going to come and get you and show you. Because they're all, and when he dies, they're all going to disperse. And when Jesus is resurrected, those are the ones he goes for. He's 40 days on the earth. His ministry after resurrection, his ministry after resurrection on the earth is to go to category one and encourage them and tell them this is how things are. He's going to open up the Old Testament Scriptures, their hearts to the Old Testament Scriptures. He's going to say, see, here are these prophecies, here in these Psalms, here in Moses, that all of this had to happen the way that it did. And they're all going to be like, wow, why didn't I see that? Because what you did see was so incredible and improbable that even though you read of it, you went, ah, I can't be. It just can't be. Can it be? This is our test of faith our whole lives. Isn't it? What does God say of you that you are? What does God say that He'll do for you? What does God say about this life that He says is exceeding abundantly beyond anything you could ask or think? We say, yeah, I know those verses, but do we actually throw our faith into life with excitement and reckless... Not reckless, but you know what I mean... With faith. But we look at the world and we say, sight says this. Even though I know the Scripture says that. And in our hearts, complete disconnect. We won't commit to it. Because where have you seen it happen? For the majority of people out there, they just go along their category three. The masses. These are the ones that I'm after, I think. It's like God wants me to, I think. They're the ones that interest me the most. But anyway, 
I put them in no particular order. Category two are the ruling elite of the world. They're the rulers of the kingdom. Those are the 1%, if you will. They're the ones who want to kill Jesus. Oh, they want to kill him. They're the ones that go to him and say, tell all those people to shut up. It's no right to say that. Jesus said, if they don't say it, the rocks will say it. Somebody's going to say it. You can't stop it, rulers. And they almost, even Jesus said, you know, it's, it's easier for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle. He doesn't mean some gate in Jerusalem, by the way. It's, a, it's, an, idiom, it's an idiom that means impossible. Take it for what it is. It doesn't mean rich people can't be saved. But just take the Lord's words for what they are. Uh, but then category three are these masses. And these are the people that are kind of stuck in the lurch. At, pa- at Palm Sunday, they, they hear the gospel. They know it. They hear it. But they also hear the elite. And the elite by the end of the week are going to convict Jesus Confidently convict him of sedition and usurpation. And they're going to beat the living snot out of him. And the war, this, these masses are going to see all of that and hear it. It's going to be, you know, it's like every newspaper, news website, whatever you read, everybody reads says this guy who you thought was a good guy is guilty of all of these crimes. And everybody agrees with it. So what do you do when you're in the masses? You say, well, we thought he was the one, but looks like he's not. Moving on. See, the masses, what they want is a comfortable life and entertainment and they want to be they want to they want security they want comfortability and they want entertainment and for them this world this kingdom on earth is good enough but if you're in category one is this world good enough for you uh, the longer the longer you go on learning God's word, learning of God, getting closer to God, the worse the the less this world holds for you. Just as God has designed it, because you're made for a different kingdom. You're a citizen of heaven, not of this earth. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. There's nothing here for you. So that's why, and, and that as such, you know, God's going to. Train those in category one, and we're called to minister to categories two, three, and four. See, the great evangelists through whom the light shines are all in category one. And they shine even in category four, the believers, to whom also the kingdom of the world is good enough. And they have no serious relationship with God's word. You know, they, they don't want in-depth messages, meaning from the pulpit. They don't, they're not learners. Right? Just 
Give me the cliff notes on this so I can get back to category three. You know, the final four is on. Something. I got to watch a bit of it in the airport yesterday, which was exciting. But, um, yeah, you know, whatever. (laughs) But if I put it this way, if God's work is in front of you to minister to God, and that's in conflict with something like, I don't know, the Final Four or Facebook or your cell phone or your whatever it is that you're looking for. And if you choose that over God and you're a believer, you're in Category 4. See, now the Lordship Salvation people say there is no Category 4. They are very, very popular in our, in our modern times. That there's no carnal believers. If you're in category four, there is no category four. So they, they lump three and four together as unbelievers, and uh, I don't agree with that at all. So look at First Thessalonians. Go back to First Thessalonians chapter two. I know we got our Lord's Supper here, so I'm going to summarize as quick as I can. For this reason, we also constantly thank God, verse 13 again, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Now, Paul is going, this is very commendable to them, and it's a very important message that you accept the word of God as authoritative straight from God, not from men. For you, brethren, verse 14, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. And he's going to explain why. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. And what Paul also points out here is that Jew and Gentile don't matter. Because in Thessalonica, their countrymen are Gentiles. In Judea, their countrymen are Jews. And the first church is here in Judea. The very beginning is in Jerusalem, and they were severely persecuted by their fellow Jews. In Thessalonica, now you know, 15 to 20 years later, they're persecuted for the same reason, but by a different category of people, which are Gentiles. So Jew and Gentile don't matter here. That the believer is going to be persecuted. Then Paul describes them, in verse 15, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to who? All men. They battle and fight, and they're not at peace. They do not please God. It gets worse. Verse 16 hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. We don't even want you to speak the gospel to others. We hate the Lord, hate the gospel, hate the truth, hate you, and we're against every man. With the result that they fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. And where does that wrath come from? From the church? Oh, good God, no. From the Lord himself. Vengeance is the Lord's, not ours. So, we witness to them. 
But notice that we are going to suffer at the hands of evil. And when it happens, if you're in category four, you're going to say, well, my life's not comfortable anymore. God, why do you hate me? Why, why do you hate me? Has God done this to you? No, for whatever, you know, this is in God's decree for all of history that God has allowed the wheat and the tares to grow together. The wheat of the believers, category one, and the rest of them all grow together. Uh, category four, are not they're not tares, right? They're wheat that are behaving like tares. I laugh because my heart goes out to them. I spent a lot of my Christian life in Category 4. It's a, it's a very difficult place. Don't do it. But if you do, I'm, I'm here for you. I don't know for what. I don't know what I'm going to do. If you want encouragement, I'll give it. If you want to know the way out, I know it. In Category 4 are believers who are addicted to things. In category four are believers, believers who are ruled by sin, who have a miserable, they're miserable. They have conflict in their hearts because there's the Holy Spirit in there convicting them of the life and the sin nature that they're, they're submitting to. And there's war, right? Galatians 5, the flesh wars with the spirit, spirit wars with the flesh. And therefore, they have no peace. God, why do you hate me? Is God saying, no, look, child, I love you. I'm trying to get your attention. Doesn't God uh, scream to us in our pain? That C.S. Lewis quote. So, the people, so this world is a very complex place. So, we'll go to Luke, we'll close, uh, well, close the, Palm Sunday here. Go to Luke 19. We'll just take Luke's account. When the Lord enters, he doesn't go to the high priest and say, get out of my chair, does he? He doesn't go to Pilate and say, get out of my chair. He doesn't go to Rome at all. He could care less about Rome. I mean, not that he cares for the people, but... You know, earthly kingdoms. Jesus' kingdom is upside down to any earthly kingdom. And so, how is he going to fill his kingdom with sinless people? He has to die for them. How is he going to make them righteous? They can't do it. He has to do it. And that's what he's doing. So by writing in humbly, he's saying, I'm here to serve you, not to conquer you. I'm here to lay my life down for you, not to conquer you by sword or shield. No one had ever, ever done that. No one ever will. And it's prophesied. By his weakness, right? It's in Isaiah 53. It says, by his weakness, by his stripes, we are healed. It's in his weakness that he will conquer. It's in his death that he will conquer. It makes no sense. I'm fully convinced that when he died, Satan thought he won. You know, some have taught that, that you know, and I, I understand why you would teach this, is that 
Satan was trying to stop him from going to the cross. But to me, that means that Satan understood what was going to happen at the cross. I don't think he did. I think Satan thought he was victorious. Maybe that's why God delayed three days for the resurrection. I don't know. But you can imagine Satan celebrating for three days. Thinking, I killed him. I did it. I did it. And then there he is. (laughs) Alive. Right? Uh, No, you didn't. And you don't even know what's coming. The kingdom of God is coming. And Satan and everybody else who wants to stop it, you can't stop it. You can't stop it. And how many ways is God telling us, us, his children, the believers? I mean, if, you're, if you remember this church, you're in category one. You love the word. I, I, I'm never going to give a 20-minute message. Sorry. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. It's not in me. I'm not going to summarize. You know, I'm, it's just, it's, I'm here for, for you. Unless I love this. I love this. To pierce behind the curtain of a superficial knowledge of the Scripture and to see, truly see the Lord. God, the light, eternity. See it now for what it is. And have it overwhelm you. And literally walk in this world with God as your faithful companion, brother, father, within you, on you, with you. In reality, and your heart will be full of joy because of it. No matter what happens to you. So word spreads this day. And so verse 37, Luke 19:37. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, a whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen shouting. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. No one's stopping this. This shows us that God's message is never going to be stopped. It's never going to be silenced. Now, and you and I, we, when he comes for us, will be delivered from this world forever, from this body. It's very temporary. So that we can always look to the future and say, you know what, look around. Look in the mirror. That's not going to be you. That's not the real you. I mean, it is the real you, but not in physical appearance. Look around at this world and how people are horrible to one another. That's not going to always be. Actually, it's not going to go on for much longer. And Jesus here, <laughs> you know, when or when uh, someone was it a John Paul that they had they tried to kill him to assassinate the Pope. Remember that? That was back when I was a kid. 
But then they put they put the Pope in the Pope mobile. Remember that? He'd ride around in this plate, this bulletproof glass, waving to the crowds. You see Jesus in any bulletproof stuff? I'm not making fun of Catholicism. I'm trying not to, but you know, I grew up. I I have a heart for the Catholics. I really do. But uh, <clears throat> you know, Jesus, he's just completely exposed. The kingdom of darkness knows exactly who he is. They want to kill him. He's not. He's right out there in the middle of the crowd, riding uh, slowly on a donkey. He's not afraid. But what he longs for is for the people to understand. And they don't. They don't fully understand. Because if they did, they would have rejoiced with him. And they, you see them here. They are rejoicing. They get, the, they get it right. They say Psalm 118. They have a partial understanding. But they don't have a full understanding. And, you know, for the disciples, that's okay. Because Jesus is going to teach them. He's going to teach them, because he's not done with them yet. But of course we know how it really went, don't we? The people rejoice. And so, just getting back to this third mark here, and I, just in a minute. Um, these people are going to be swayed. Category three, you know, these are the... Maybe some of them are believers, but by the end of the week, they're going to be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Now, why are they going to do that? Is I don't Not because they investigated Jesus on their own and like held an interview with him. No, it's that the authorities said that he is a criminal and that he is a usurper, that he's a seditionist, and that he needs to die. And the people are going to be like, all right. And they're kind of, they're going to be like, well, let's get it over with so we can go celebrate the Passover. How ironic. But they just want to get on with their lives. Don't be this kind of believer. Believers can be like that. Take an inventory. Consider. Pray. Say, how do I move from category four to category one? He will show you. But you, and you'll see it. I, I encourage you to see the Christian life for the beautiful life that it is. Days from that morning, these people will be swayed by the Sanhedrin. How will they react to the Lord? As he reveals himself more. How are the ruling class going to react to him? Because what's he going to do on the second, the day after this? On Monday, you know, when you piece together all the Gospels, it's, this is one of those things where somebody will say this happened on Sunday or Monday or maybe even Tuesday. There's also the argument of did he die on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. And uh, I, I don't want anything to do with that. Not to argue it. I have my own opinion on it, but opinion is as far as it goes. Unless the scripture says it plainly. But what we do know is that he goes into the temple and where this ruling elite class is making tons, gobs of money 
off the trading and money exchanging in the temple. He goes in there and he throws them all out. What did he do to the elite? They already hated him. He just took money out of their pockets. Oh, what's the worst thing you can do to the ruling elite? Remove their power or their wealth. And look out. What's amazing is that after he kicks out all the money changers, the lame and the blind fill the temple and he heals them. On that day. We always think of we always think of the ones that he kicked out. We failed to think of the ones that, you know, once there was plenty of room, guess who filled up the temple? You read it right in your gospel. The lame, not like, you know, not in our modern lingo. <laughs> These were actually physically lame and blind, and he healed them. And it shows us that's what the temple of God was always for. Not for the ruling elite to make money, but for people to be healed. Healed by God's word. Healed by the truth. Healed by the gospel. And so skip down to verse 41. Luke 19, 41. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day even you the things that make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. He wept over the city. He wept over the city because he knew what would happen. Even the believers, our category one here, uh, would scatter from him. But he would come back and get them. After his resurrection, he would appear to them. But he's the only one. They're all shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As he crossed what we, where we think this would have been done is the, the road goes around the Mount of Olives and when it comes around to the right, all of a sudden the, the city comes into view. So there's a mountain between Bethany and Jerusalem it's probably more like a hill, you know. It's not that big, but the, you can't really see the city. But as you go around the road, you get to a point where you can see the city. The temple comes into view, and that's where he stops and he looks at it, and he knows what's going to happen. He's the only one who does. Because, and basically, it's because of the third group. And the ruling elite are always a very, very small percentage of the population. And, you know, they've got their own dealings with God, but the masses, they actually end up giving power to the elite. Because the elite, gee, even Jesus called them benefactors. Benefactor means, in the night before he died at the Last Supper, this would be a great place, now that I'm changed, we'll, we'll look at it in the Lord's Supper, but that he said, in the world's kingdoms, the people look to benefactors. Meaning, we look to the government. We all have to do this. And we expect good roads, strong military, running water, and electricity, the lights to be on. We expect it. There are benefactors. And Jesus said to them, not so with you. That doesn't mean turn off all your lights and go live in, in the woods. What it means is that for us, he said, with you, 
The greatest of you is not the one who keeps the lights on. I don't know why I'm pointing up. but Not the rulers that keep the lights on, but the greatest among you is the one who serves others. In other words, you love and you realize who you are and you serve others in the kingdom so that they may walk in a manner worthy. And that's the most important thing. And I say, well, what about the lights and the water and my dreams of things on earth in this kingdom. I want to be rich. I want to be successful. I want a career and all of that. And God said, look, seek my kingdom first and that will be added to you. Don't worry about it. Seek my kingdom first and do the rest of the stuff. Do the other stuff that, and I'll open doors for you. But if you seek the world's kingdom first as a believer then you're going to be like this mass of people to whom the kingdoms of the world are good enough. You're settling for far, far less. These masses are going to be so swayed by the authorities that in a matter of days they're going to be shouting, crucify him, crucify him, and Jerusalem is going to be torn apart and disciplined by the Romans not long after that. All of these people are here on Palm Sunday. It's a cross-section of humanity. And we, now, we should, now that we know, you know, now we know so much because we have the full revelation of Scripture that we should be rejoicing every day. Jesus told us, pray it every day. Your kingdom come. You could add to it this line in Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I can't wait to see him. This is not my world. So, I'll be able to handle the suffering that comes upon me and do his bidding and his will because this life is just the beginning. And it's short. It's so very short. But for all of eternity, it's going to be beautiful. Not a sin anywhere by anybody for all of eternity. A perfect kingdom. Let's uh, celebrate our Lord's Supper then together. And uh, let's pass out our elements and we'll uh, celebrate together the Lord's Supper. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Kathy.
If you want to read with me, I'll be in Luke 22. So actually, look at verse 23. And they began to discuss among themselves which of them might be the one who was going to do this, who betrayed him. And there arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. (laughs) We all laugh. And yet, come on, you can identify with this, as can I. Um, And... But it, it's so perfect because that's the old kingdom, right? That's the kingdoms of the earth. Who are the rulers? They're the greatest. Well, you know, of course we know better. But, you know, they at least seek to be, right? I want to be the greatest, the smartest. And, you know, it's ambitious. There's nothing wrong with ambition if it's rightly placed. And there, so there was a dispute among who's the greatest. So then Jesus says to them and corrects them. And he's going to tell them what kingdom they're of. And they're behaving like the old one. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors. Right? They give to the population. The population says thank you or not. Or population pays taxes, I guess you could say, without rather than saying thank you. And by yet... We get the services that we want. Right? So, if this world is okay enough for you, for me, then the benefactors are good enough. They don't need really need a relationship with God. My needs are met. That's why God will turn the power off in your life sometimes. I mean that metaphorically. He'll take the internet away from you. Metaphorically. <laughs> trying to think of the things that get people the angriest, you know. He's going to take your wealth away. He's going to make you sick or allow you to be so that you see what is real. So again, it is not this way with you. Verse 26. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest. which means, That means the least. That's Paul's role as the gentle child in 1 Thessalonians 2. And the leader, even if you have a position of authority, like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. And there, I would say, he's directly relating to the fact that he washed their feet. They're at the table. He's on his knees washing their feet. And he says, all right, so who's the greatest one here in the room right now? You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table and in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. How wonderful. And, and at, So even though they're, they're fighting with each other about who's the greatest and they're not getting it, they're still his. Right? We don't get it sometimes. A lot of the time. You're still his. If you're a believer, he's going to teach you and teach you and teach you. That's right. And we've got to be patient with one another. Teach one another. Model the Christian life to one another. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. 
for some of us, and I am one of those, it takes us forever to get to the place. I recommend hurry. <laughs> but, you know, what are you going to do? They have a kingdom. Uh, speaking of patience, after the resurrection of Christ, they say, is it now that you're going to bring in your kingdom and we're going to sit? He just said, we're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. That sounds awesome. Is that now? And he says, uh, no. Stay in Jerusalem. It's not for you to know the program of the Father's future, which would tell all the eschatological people who are crazy about it, calm down. You don't know it all. So do what? I don't know when the kingdom's coming. Neither do you. Follow him. Today. One day at a time. Follow him today. Find that joy and peace today. And it's all because of what he has done for us. So back in verse 19, when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of our Lord, let's eat the bread together. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant is a new kingdom and a new life. But behold, the hand of the one who is betraying, betraying me is with me. For indeed the Son of Man is going, as it has been determined. But woe to that man by which he is betrayed. But though we have believed, let's drink the cup together in honor of our Lord and His finished work. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you have provided us with this table that we can never forget why we have such wonderful things. The truth, the life, the kingdom, the future, the glory. Why it is ours. It is ours because your Son gave his life and died for our sins on the cross. We thank you, Father, for the new covenant in his blood of which all who believe upon him are members. May we see with the eyes that you would have us see. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Thanks for your patience. I know this went kind of long, but uh, we'll take our offering at this time and get you out of here. Yeah, as you know, Chris and I were in Houston. Uh, Scott and Joni say hello to everybody. I know they're listening. Hello. We, we miss you guys already. Um, they're doing great. They have a nice big house, so they invited everybody to go down there and stay. Did They They didn't say that. I'm saying that. No. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, and uh, Houston was was really nice. Anyway, we'll we'll share that with you, but. We appreciate Scott and Joni, and uh, for all those, we have uh, a few listeners down there in Houston. We met with uh, Robin Warner, who lives very close to Scott and Joni, who've been a listener for us to us for a long time. Uh, her name's Robin, um, and just remember to keep them all in prayer. Uh, all right, let's pray for our offering. Father, thank you for 
the opportunity to give as we do as your believer priests to give uh, in honor and respect and in worship of you. Bless this offering to your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time and our gathering. Uh, final moments of our service are dedicated to anyone who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior. And if you're listening to me and you haven't, I beg you to please consider who is the Lord. Uh, this is a week where many Christians celebrate the week of Passion, which is our Lord's final week. It led to the cross where he died for the sins of the whole world. And he died for your sins and for mine. He is the only one, the only Savior, and so through Him and Him alone can anyone be saved. It's not by works, though. It's not you changing anything or doing anything other than believing upon Him. Your sins are many, so are mine, so are everybody else's. But He, our Lord, took that debt that we have against God or with God, and He has removed it out of the way, having died for the sins of the whole world. Believe upon Him and you will be saved. Thank you, Father, for your amazing grace. In Christ's name, amen.